Amen. Thank you, choir, Jeff, and did a great job. Thank you, Murray. And Gina, I don't know if you noticed her shoes. Man, those are some kind of shoes. She said I could borrow them anytime that I need them, so I... Right. If it wasn't for good shoes, uh, Cinderella would still be working for her wicked stepmother. So women have been buying shoes ever since. And so anyway, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 16? We've been working our way to the cross and uh, Jesus began his ministry in Galilee and uh, started in Nazareth, and Nazareth rejected him. And can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I shared with you that Susan and I named our oven Nazareth because can anything good come out of Nazareth? But uh, he was rejected in Nazareth, so he went to Capernaum. And there he uh, taught and preached. Uh, One of my favorite stops was going to Capernaum. And I can remember that. He went by the seaside and he talked by the seaside and there he called three of his disciples, um, Peter, James, and John. And they became kind of the inner circle of his group. He eventually added 12 and because it was a new, new number for the new Israel. He was starting the new Israel. And he later added Matthew. And Matthew kind of didn't fit within the group. Matthew was a uh, rabbi was studying to be a rabbi, but somehow he got disillusioned with the temple that was going there, so he took the opposite kind of extreme and became a tax collector. And as a tax collector, he was even probably uh, ostracized by his own family. But Matthew was something deep inside of him that needed to be filled. And one day, Jesus was teaching. And as Jesus was teaching, he just looked at him. He locked eyes with Matthew. And he said, follow me. And all of a sudden, something inside of Matthew kind of changed. And he got up from those uh, tax tables and he followed Jesus and became the writer of Matthew. And his rabbinic training comes out as we read Matthew because it is five different sections which kind of correspond to the first Five books of the law. But he is very organized because accountants and tax collectors are organized. And he went around writing about the life of Christ and he would take notes. And he tells us about what happened at a place called Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi is a beautiful place. It, it is up in the mountains of uh, the northern part of Israel, about as far north as you can get in Israel. And the, the snow melts on Mount Hermon and comes down that mountain and, and it flows. And that's where the mouthpiece, the mouth start of the Jordan River is. And you can, you can see how beautiful it is. And almost being, when I think of Gatlinburg, I think of a place like that up there in those mountains. Uh, it was down further stream from that that I baptized Susan. And it was a great, great kind of moment for us. That water so cold, we didn't stay long in the river, I guarantee you. But she was baptized here. But she just felt the need to be baptized in the River Jordan. And so as I put her under, I said, Lord, help her to be a better cook. No, 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 I didn't do that. 
No, it was a very special moment for both of us. And we have that picture on one of our tables to remember how special that moment was. Now, Jesus is coming out of Capernaum and he goes up there to uh, Caesarea Philippi. Uh, Caesarea was land that was given to Herod the Great and Philip was the son of Herod the Great and he had kind of a place up there. And it was kind of his getaway place because it's such a beautiful moment up there in Caesarea Philippi. But Jesus went up there to be alone with his disciples. Because he's about to change things and move from there to a place called Jerusalem. And as he goes to Jerusalem, he knows what's waiting there. And it's a cross. And it's our salvation. And it's going to be a tough time at the cross. So much is written more about the cross than any other part of Jesus' life. Because for the first time, God the Father and God the Son will be separated because the sin of the world is going to be borne by him. And in that separation and in that moment at the cross, God pours out his wrath on all of our sin so that it's paid for. Now, the question that's brought here and Jesus teaches and what he teaches is the kingdom of God. He doesn't teach about himself until later on. And if the Apostle Paul who would write us about who he is and what he does. But here he's been with his disciples almost three years. And so he asked them questions. It's kind of a question answer kind of moment that's up there in Caesarea Philippi. And he asked them about who he is. I read when Bill Clinton was a uh, president, he went to a nursing home and he put his arm around one of these ladies and he said, do you know who I am? And she said, no, but if you go up there and ask the nurse, she will tell you <laughs> who you are. And if you, have, <laughs> if you have family in a nursing home, you know how that goes. One of the guys that I studied is a guy named Albert Schweitzer, and um, such a magnificent kind of guy. As a German scholar, he had three uh, doctor degree, had a doctor degree in organ, had a doctor degree in religion and theology, and he also had a medical degree. And he went to Africa, and in Africa, he there he took care of people without any charge to him whatsoever. He was given a Nobel Peace Prize for uh, his caring part and caring for people. But Albert Schweitzer says of Jesus that he was a misguided revolutionary who tried to bring in the kingdom and he died. And if it wasn't for Peter who picked up the movement, then we would never know about Christianity. How could a man be so smart? And miss out on who Jesus is. If you have your Bibles, would you look at Matthew chapter 16? And we'll just read uh, one or two verses. So would you stand in honor of God's word? Verse 15. 
But who do you say that I am? And that's the most important question you will ever answer. But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you, and, and in the Greek text that is very emphatic, you yourself are the Christ. And the word Christ means the anointed one. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Living God. So if he's the living God, he is the God who gives us life. And so Jesus gave him a blessing, verse 17, for he came up there. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. It came from heaven. It was a heaven-sent uh, revelation. But my Father, and Jesus taught us to say, my Father. But my Father is the one who shared this with you. And this revelation came right from heaven. May God bless the reading of his word, and you may be seated. Look back with me at verse 13. Uh, last week we saw, as I'm moving us towards the cross, how, how Jesus was in a house, and then being in a house, they, four men couldn't get to the, in front of Jesus, so they went to the top of the roof it's a uh, through the roof story and they brought Jesus, uh, the paralyzed man down in front of Jesus and he said something that would bring on the opposition. He said, your sins are forgiven. And immediately the scribes and the Pharisees jumped on that and said, nobody can do that but God. And the, and the climax of that should be, well, he just did it. And he said, well, showing that I could heal, I'm forgiving sins, I can also heal the paralysis there. And the man got up and walked. He told him, get up and walk and take your bed and go home. And there was a moment in that house where Jesus was in the house. And when Jesus is in the house, amazing things can be done. And his power can not only heal our bodies, but his power can also forgive us of our sin. And you cannot get that anywhere else. But he's a living Lord. Now look back at verse 13 and, and where we are today in Caesarea Philippi. And, and uh, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And one of Jesus' favorite references to himself was the son of man. He uses that over and over again. It comes from Daniel chapter 7. He's not only divine, but he's also a son of man. And as a son of man, he has a future, and God's future is wrapped up in his life and what he will lean on the, leave on this earth. So he asks this question, who do men say that I am? What's the word on the street? What have you heard about me? I went to a philosopher's conference when I was at Judson and I taught philosophy and there were all the academic people of the uh, Ivy League world, uh, Harvard and Yale and Princeton. And the question was asked there, who was the greatest who ever lived? And they said it was Mahatma Gandhi. And I think Jesus came in third. It was kind of amazing to me that all these intellectual men could miss the impact 
of what Jesus made in the world. By the way, Mahatma Gandhi died and he never came back. I'm going to cast my lot with the one who came back from the grave. Amazing how smart people can be and how they miss Jesus. So they gave good answers in verse 14. They're very good answers. When I was in the 11th grade, I had Miss Seymour for plain geometry, and she would send us to the board, and I had no idea what the answer was. In fact, none of the people around me had any idea what the answer was. But they give good answers. Some say you're John the Baptist who has come back. Some say that you are Elijah, and they expected Elijah to come back. And today, when there's a Passover in a Jewish gathering, when they have the Passover, they open the door for Elijah to come back, and Jesus said it was the attitude and symbol of John the Baptist who represented Elijah. And they say, also, you're Jeremiah, which is one of the greatest prophets who ever lived. But then Jesus asked this question. Who do you say I am? And I, I like the way he did it from the general to the particular. That's a good philosophy. So who do you say that I am? And that's a very important question. Who do you say that I am? Uh, this morning we drove by Central Baptist Church where there's the post office, or it used to be the post office. And I do that every now and then to make sure you stay awake. Isn't that right? And we hit that button. There's one more I got, so you better stay awake. But it was there that sitting in the balcony of Central Baptist Church that I knew who Jesus was. I'd been taught that by my mom and all my Sunday school teachers. But he became real to me. And I went home that afternoon and knelt by my mother's bed and I asked Jesus into my heart. And he's been inside of my heart and in my life ever since. So have you ever made that decision? Have you made that point where you invited Christ to come into your life? So who do people say that he is, but who do you say that he is? And it comes to be an individual decision that nobody can make for you. Only you can make that decision for yourself. When I was pastor at Fairhope, there was a young man who came to see me, and he was a bull rider in Pensacola on Friday night. He'd go ride a bull, and, and that's for him. Everybody has their thing, so he can do that if he wants to, but it's not in the course for me. But he said he loved riding bulls, and he said it was the greatest thing in the world on Fu Manchu or whatever they see, to see it on top of that bull and and made 10 seconds. That was his goal, I think, to ride that bull. And he said he took his girlfriend to uh, watch him one Friday night. And his girlfriend said that she couldn't take it, him riding that bull. And so she said, either I go or the bull riding go. And so he asked me, he said, Dr. Henry, what do you think I should do? And I said, well, what does she look like? That's very important. You don't want to give up bull riding for an unattractive girl. So he said, she looks good. 
And I said, you know, that's, I can't make that decision for you. Only you can make that decision. And I'll pray for you to make the right decision, but I can't make that decision for you. There are some decisions that nobody can make for us, but we have to make for ourselves. I had a great-grandmother who loved the Lord and graduated from Judson in chemistry and physics. But she led a lot of, and by the way, she took that chemistry and physics and made some of the best biscuits you've ever put in your mouth. But she was a fine Christian lady. And I thank God for her. My mama was a fine Christian lady. And Mama would ride, put me on a bicycle and my brother Tommy, and we'd go down to where Francis Thomas used to be and back up in there where the railroad was. And my Mama would do Bible studies for black families that were there in the black churches. I mean, she was a fine Christian lady. But my Mama could never make that decision for me that only I could make to invite Christ into my life. Who do you say that he is? And Peter confessed. And this is the confession that the church is built on. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he said, you have heard that from the Lord. And he used that from my father in heaven gave you that. You have a father. Your father was Bar-Jonah. The word Bar means son. And he was the son of Jonah. And he had flesh and blood. But here are only things that God can give us from when he is our father. Without Jesus Christ, he is some far off distance out there. But in Jesus Christ, he is our Lord. And he is there to guide us as we face life as it comes. Verse 18, if you have your Bible, I say unto you, thou art Peter and he changes his name because he used to be Simon, but he's that Simon in him is going to come out every now and then. But upon that rock, a rock was like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rock in the temple was going to be replaced by the confession of Jesus Christ as Savior. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And he's talking about his church. And for the first time he's mentioned the church. And the Greek word there is the ecclesia. It comes out of from Greek words that ecclesia is gathering together of a community. For it's not just a building. It's a community that makes the church. Because buildings come and buildings go. But the gathering that we have in Jesus Christ, my good friend is a missionary in China, or was a missionary in China, and they had to leave because of COVID. But he gathers communities together and of Chinese. And when they would sing the hymns, they couldn't even sing the hymns out loud. They would mouth the words because somebody was watching. But there was a community of believers there. They didn't have a building. They just met somewhere that they could find in people's houses to meet. Because the church of God is a gathering of people under the idea that Jesus Christ is the Messiah 
the son of the living God. Verse 19, he said, I will give, well, verse uh, 18, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the idea is that hell itself is, is once you get inside, you can't get out. But there's one opening that comes in that releasing the gates and maybe the gates will charge against the church, but there's an opening there that only Jesus Christ provides that the gates cannot close that, that portion. And when they put Jesus in the grave, three days later, he came out. And that's our hope. The gates of hell could not charge, uh, um, overpower what he, he brings in the confession of Jesus Christ as our Savior. And he says, here on earth we have, can have heavenly moments. And when heaven comes down, glory can fill our soul. And while we're worshiping together, and there are moments that he says, here on earth there's a, there's a up there come down here kind of moment. And, and in the Lord's prayer, he says, uh, Father, um, make up there come down here. And when Christians get together, there's something about those moments when you can feel God's presence in a powerful way. We can pray each one individually, but when we pray as a gathered congregation, something happens because there's a presence here that only he brings. That was a good moment. But it set up the next moment. If you have your Bibles, look in verse 21. He began to be very serious. That's what the words say from that time forth. He began to show his disciples. Uh, when your wife comes to you and says, we need to talk. You run for the hills. <laughs> when Jesus gets serious, put your head in the game. Listen to what he has to say. From that time forth, he began to tell his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the temple is. Jerusalem was where... David's city, it was David who took it from the Moabites or the Ammonites or one of those ites, I can't remember the ites, whatever, it's websites or whatever, I don't know. Um, and it made it his city. When he brought the ark in, he danced and Baptists don't know how to dance, amen? That is devotion and motion, that is what dancing is. Church of God knows what dancing is, but Baptists don't know what dancing is. And so he brought his, the Ark of the Covenant there. His son Solomon built the temple. It was a capital place. The word Jerusalem, uh, Jeru Shalom, means the peace of God. Peace of Jehovah. So he's going to Jerusalem where there is going to be the place where they are going to reject him 
and it's hard to be rejected. He shows himself as the Messiah, and he's going to show himself there as the Messiah. It's going to be a great day when he comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and they're going to hail him, hail him, but a week later they will nail him, nail him. But he's going to suffer many things and be rejected. I heard of a man who asked a girl to marry him, and she said no. And he said, why is it anybody else? And she said, there's got to be somebody. <laughs> Ooh, that's a kick in the gut. And I just like to be rejected. But here's God offering himself, not from a good man who came to God, but a good God who came to man. And he comes into Jerusalem and he offers himself. And they not only reject him, they put him on a cross. All of this is ahead of him. Now, Peter in verse 22 didn't grasp it because Jesus had told them not to tell anybody. But they weren't ready for it yet. It would take the crucifixion and resurrection to put all this in perspective. But Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Those are hard words. Satan somehow gets into our word situations. When we talk to one another in harsh tones and say things we shouldn't have said, there's a satanic move in the middle of that. So Satan got in the middle of this conversation and Jesus recognized that this conversation is coming from Satan and not coming through Peter, but not Peter's voice. But Peter said, that's never going to happen to you. Peter rebuked Jesus. It was a harsh face-to-face kind of confrontation. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. For those are the things of men, not of the things of God. Now what, what can God do through his church? He can do amazing things through his church. And I'm looking forward to seeing what God can do in and through this church. It has done great things in the past. And I've been here to witness a lot of those great things. I remember Henry Lyon being here, and when Craig was here, we'd have lieutenants, those lieutenants in flight school. And on Wednesday night, when he had those Bible studies, I could see how things were crowded and just something that God was doing in and through his church and brought an excitement to mine and Susan's life as we heard those things and as we saw this church do some great and powerful things. Because when Jesus Christ is there, it's a Christo kind of centric idea. And when you preach Jesus Christ that he is a living God, then you see him do some things that only he could do in a world that is thirsty to hear about something to hold on to in the middle of a world that's kind of falling apart. When I was at Judson, I was teaching a class in the afternoon on the missionary um, um, journeys of Paul and while I was in there teaching in the afternoon that was a hard time to keep those girls attitude let me tell you it was tough after lunch they had eaten a big lunch and they went there and they were nodding like some of you are nodding right now you're kind of nodding along and looking at their watches and all this kind of thing so I thought I'd just kind of shake it up and I talked about uh, some places where uh their husband, their husband has many wives, but there are some cultures that have uh, a wife has many husbands, and 
There was a girl named Myra who was in that class, and I remember Myra. She was a tall, skinny girl. God hadn't given her a figure yet, and she was just a tall, skinny girl. So I, I looked at uh, Myra, and I said, Myra, could you handle many husbands? And Myra stood up and said, the question is, could they handle me? <laughs> could Selma, Alabama handle this church that was on fire for the Lord? What it could do in and through this church is amazing. The church is Christ's bride. It was established when we put him in the center of what we do, what we say, and how we live our life. It's a place where we invite people to come to know Christ as their Savior. It's a place where we invite them to be baptized. It's a place where one day we kind of send them off when they have made that decision to follow Christ. We send them off and say, God has hope for this moment. And without a living Christ, there is no hope for that moment. Say goodbye. And that's all it is. I watched Sesame Street. To, I used to watch Sesame Street with my kids. And Mr. Looper or Mr. Hooper or whatever it was passed away. And they tried to give an idea of what happened to him. And they just said, we're going to miss him. And that was all Sesame Street had to give. When you take your last breath in this life and go on to the next life. Susan and I came here uh, this morning, just kind of rode around a little bit earlier. And as we rode around, we went to the went by the Walton Theater. And um, any of you remember when the Wilby Theater, would you raise your hand if you were there? Okay, you're old people if you remember when the Wilby was there. But I remember the Walton Theater. Um, and on Saturday afternoon, they had a matinee, which was always a cowboy movie. <laughs> and they'd have Hopalong Cassidy, and he always amazed me. He had two guns, not just one. Roy Rogers had one gun, but he had two guns. And he'd get in a saloon fight and never lose his hat. He always won it, but his hat always stuck on his head. And Randolph Smith, I remember Randolph Smith and John Wayne. John Wayne was the epitome of what a man's got to do, what a man's got to do. Uh, kind of reminded me of Bear Bryant in a lot of ways. I think they were about the same height. But uh, before the cowboy movie came on, there was this cartoon, and it was usually Porky Pig. And Pe Porky Pig would come on um, right after the cartoon was over, and he would give this, and this is my best Porky Pig kind of, um, um, uh, and say what he says. So uh, Porky Pig would come over and say, a be a be a be a, that's all, folks. <laughs> it's amazing what sticks in our head when we're kids. <laughs> Physics didn't stick in my head, but 
big, porky pig. And the Seymour's plain geometry just went. But the man who had that voice was a guy named Mel Blanc. And Mel Blanc always not only did head, but uh, Sylvester and a couple of other voices, he would do those voices too. When Mel Blanc died, they put on his uh, tomb. That's all, folks. That's all, folks. And if Albert Schweitzer's right, then you could put on every one of our tombs. That's awful. It's over. It's done. But according to God's word right here, there's a hope beyond the grave. And when I buried my grandmother and when I buried my mother, I didn't put that's all, folks. Where is she? She's gone to be with the Lord. Because we have a living Savior. And because they had invited Christ into their life, there was a hope beyond this world. There was a hope that God placed that God had prepared. And she had gone on to be with the Lord. Now, would you bow your heads for just a moment? And let me just ask you, where was the time when you knew Christ and you invited him into your heart? Is there a time that you can say, this is a point in time when others had said things about Christ And others had made their decisions about Christ. But there was a point in time like I knelt beside my mother's bed and asked Christ into my life. And if you haven't done that, let me encourage you to do that. You can do that this morning. Say, Lord, come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and I will follow you for the rest of my life. And I hope you've made that decision. And I hope that you have passed that down to generations that are coming after you. So that they will know when grandmother or granddaddy or mother or daddy made that decision for Christ. And maybe it will have an influence on them to make their decision for Christ. Father, I thank you for a time of Caesarea Philippi. And we can all have our Caesarea Philippi moments when we as individuals have to consider what we will do with Christ, the Son of the living God. The story is not over for him. When they crucified him, they put him in the grave, and we know that. But that was not the end of the story. Mel Blanc may have had an end to his story. But when Jesus Christ is our Savior, there's not an end to our stories. There's a resurrection waiting that only you can give.
Thank you for our being together this moment, this morning. Thank you for your love for each one of us. Now help us to hear your voice as we are gathered as a Christian community. Help us to hear your voice speaking to us in this moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.